a lot of the time, and this is probably getting a little bit serious, but a lot of the time when your heart is not in the right place and you're doing something because somebody's told you that's the way you need to go in order to make your life successful, you tend to squash what your passions are. And that doesn't necessarily help you with making the right decisions. At the time, they might seem like the right decisions because you don't know any better and the people who presumably do are saying to you, no, you need to do this because this is the only way your life is going to get better. And so you try and find, or for me certainly it was, I tried to find my best possible outcome out of that. Are you searching for your ideal career, fed up of your daily grind, or simply want to hear some inspiring stories? Then you've come to the right place, because it's time to do a job you love. It's time to get work savvy. Welcome to episode 20 of the Get Work Savvy podcast. I hope that you're well, and I'm so glad that you could join us for another episode. This is the show that aims to provide you with tips, tricks, and advice to help you find a job that you're passionate about. Now, I know this is easy to think that's never going to happen to me, right? And I was in exactly the same position. And it took me over 10 years to find a job that I truly love. But in 2019, I really believe that you should be able to find a job that you enjoy doing instead of turning up for that daily grind. If you are new here, then welcome. My name's Liam. I'm an e-product manager working for a national training provider in the UK. Every week, we interview a new guest who shares their story about how they found their ideal career. Now, we interview guests from a wide range of different industries to give you a flavour of different jobs that are out there that you might not have considered, but equally to share the common tips, tricks and advice that might help you to get work savvy. This week, we talked to the fascinating Ruchita, who was so kind to share her story. Now, the audio quality isn't necessarily the best this week, so apologies about that. However, I know that you're going to find Ruchita's story so engaging and hopefully really inspiring too. If you do like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can get a new episode every single Monday. And why not drop us a rating and review to let us know what you think. As you're listening, you might think, oh, I'm going to forget what Richard says, but don't forget that we're going to give you the tips, tricks and advice that she shares, no matter what industry you're trying to break into. So without any further delay, let's dive into this week's episode. So hi to Richita and welcome to the Get Work Savvy podcast. How are you doing today? I'm good, thank you, Liam. I'm really happy to be here. Excellent. And we're so happy to have you join us on this week's episode. For those people who are unaware of what it is that you do, could you just give us a short explanation about what it is that you actually do for work? I run a business called Masala Masters, which is something that brings the experience of Indian cooking to your home. To explain it just in a way that people could relate to it, it works a little bit like a pamper party. So you and some of your friends can come together and have me there, and we cook a whole three-course meal together. So you get the experience of Indian starters, Indian main courses. The dessert is the only thing that I bring with me. But otherwise, the whole meal comes together from scratch. Everyone sits down for a full meal at the end of it, and you take away recipes and spices at the end of the night. It's quite nice because a lot of people will say to me, we're always looking for something different to do with our friends, people who meet quite regularly and all this sort of thing. So it adds a nice variety to the sorts of things people can do together. It's great as a celebration as well. A lot of times people will book it for anniversaries and special occasions. It's a really lovely job for me to be in. I thoroughly enjoy it, certainly. Absolutely amazing. I enjoy cooking myself and I think that would be such a great event to have. Is it in the one location that you're focusing on or are you like UK-wide or? UK-wide, no, because currently it is just me. Yeah. 
and it would be quite a huge undertaking if I went everywhere. But no, I'm based in northeast Lincolnshire in Grimsby, and I'm travelling about in a 40-mile radius at the minute. I have been asked to go a little bit further as well, which I suppose depends on the size of the party and just you know how feasible it is. It's one of those things where it's difficult to gauge just how worthwhile it might be. Although I would enjoy every single one because I love cooking and I love talking to people about food and showing them how it, how it all comes together. The business side of it always sort of takes over and you do just have to stop and ask yourself, maybe I can't quite drive to Liverpool just yet. It, you know, it's not going to happen. Yeah, I totally understand that. So just taking you back then, is this what you imagined doing when you were at school? I know you said you love cooking, but what career path did you imagine going down when you were back in your school days? Oh, it's been a whole wibbly-wobbly set of ups and downs. (laughs) I had never, ever imagined that I would be cooking for a business. Never. I suppose I've always been creative. I've always wanted to work in a creative industry. I come from a long line of business people back in India. I am originally from India. All of my family is still there. I moved over in 2005 to study in Manchester and sort of stayed here from then on. But I have a huge business background from India, from right from my grandfather. But I never wanted to go into business, probably because I was permanently surrounded by it. I never wanted to go into business. I wanted a nine-to-five job, which was creative enough for me to be able to do exactly what I wanted to do. So originally, I remember my first ever dream was to be a pilot. I wanted to fly planes all over the world and commercial pilot, not like a fighter pilot career. <laughs> but then I had to wear glasses from when I was about 12 years old. And at the time in India, there wasn't that option. You couldn't train to become a pilot if you didn't have 20-20 vision. So that sort of got, and I was just really disappointed by that. Yeah, I can imagine. Not that any, you know, it's not the sort of thing that parents discuss with their kids really in India. Oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> At the time I was thinking, oh man, I've got to wear glasses now. I could never be a pilot. But I'd always wanted to do something in the creative field. So I always fancied myself as probably being an architect or an interior designer or maybe even a fashion designer because I used to love to draw and all this sort of thing. Never, ever imagined that I would be running a business cooking. <laughs> That's where it all sort of starts. Excellent. You mentioned always had that creative flair and unfortunately the glasses put a damp on your aspirations to get into the sky. But what happened next from school? You went down that creative route. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, to a certain extent, yes. I was never good academically. I've never been able to do or score very well and exams and stuff like that. I've always been sort of mediocre, even below average a lot of the time. Maths was never my strongest point. I've always been interested in literature, so language and English is always high. And then when I first finished school, there were really only two options in terms of career paths, because it is probably changed a little bit now in India in the education system where there are a lot more options you have the scope to make more of your of your passion than you did, you know, 20, 25 years ago. When I was growing up, the focus was very much on, are you going to be a doctor or are you going to be an engineer? There was nothing else that was even presented as an option. Growing up, I always thought, oh, I hate biology, so I suppose I'll be an engineer. But I don't really like that, so I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> it is going to be a really difficult decision when it comes to it. 
when you first finished school and you went into what we call junior college back then, which is about A-level areas here, the three streams you could choose were sciences, humanities, or commerce. And commerce I knew I'd never be able to do because I'm rubbish with money. Humanities, I would have loved to jump straight into the arts and study English and do that, but that wasn't an option for me personally from my background. The only thing left was sciences. And even then, I picked physics, chemistry, geology, of all things, and Hindi, bizarrely. Those were my four. Hindi is a region language, one of the widest spoken languages in India. Because there was no other option and I needed four subjects, I chose physics, chemistry, math, and Hindi, and geology. It was very much slim pickings, and I picked the least, to me, offensive subject. Did disastrously in those two years. Barely went to college because I thought, I hate this. I really don't want to study this. Barely scraped by in my sort of A-levels. I think I got something like 55% and the passing mark was 50 or something like that. Really, really, really hated it. Did not like it at all. But I didn't have an option at that point. You know, it was very much a case of, nope, you've got to do something in this field, whatever you can manage. And the field of computer sciences was just coming up in India at that point. I thought, here's something where I can possibly employ a little bit of creativity. You know, I don't have to go into programming. I could do website design or I could do animation. Oh, I was fascinated by animation. Just how do you make these things move? It's in a computer. You're not drawing anything. You know, you're not sort of making social changes. I'd seen those, you know, the flip books you could buy. Yeah. Back in the day where every single page had quite difference. And then when you looked at it really quickly, it looked as if the picture was moving. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, by hand, I can understand how you could do that. Can you do this in a computer? That was then my focus. All right, if I've got to study technology, then maybe that's what I'll do. But I think... A lot of the time, and this is probably getting a little bit serious, but a lot of the time when your heart is not in the right place and you're doing something because somebody's told you that's the way you need to go in order to make your life successful, you tend to squash what your passions are. And that doesn't necessarily help you with making the right decisions. At the time, they might seem like the right decisions because you don't know any better and the people who presumably do are saying to you, no, you need to do this because this is the only way your life is going to get better. And so you try and find, or for me certainly it was, I tried to find my best possible outcome out of that. So even after scraping through my A-levels, I did the entrance exam for a bachelor's in computer science and somehow managed to get through that because a lot of that was application-based as well. And I could do that. I've always been better at practical aspects of things. Even with chemistry, I was always better with the practicals than I was with the theory. So I suppose that got me through. And I did start on a degree for this bachelor's in computer science. And somewhere along the way, I suppose deep down I knew I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy at all. The first year we had about eight subjects, statistics, electronics and physics and mathematics, and it was miserable. I scraped through four and I flunked four, which meant they'd still push me into second year. But then in second year, instead of doing eight papers, I had to do 12 because it was eight and the other four. And it sort of sent me into a, a minor breakdown really. That's the only way. It was at the time I didn't recognize it as that, but it was very much an emotional and a mental breakdown. And I just closed up. I closed up completely, didn't want 
to go to university. I didn't want to do any of this. And it came to a point where my parents had to say, right, you need to get out of this and you need to do something that's going to make you happy. So after about a year and a half of computer science, finally sort of mustered up the courage to say to my dad, no, I really want to study English because I knew that I'd always written. Whenever I felt as though I was being constricted or anything, writing has always been my out. I started writing this novel when I was, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. And it was almost as if I was adding to that every time I felt as though I needed some space. So I knew that I had a massive passion with that. And that gave that scope for creativity that I was, that I've always been looking for. So I said to him, you know, I want to study English and potentially then become a journalist. So eventually, after going from science into computer science, and then I jumped into a Bachelor of Arts degree with English, philosophy and psychology and sociology. And that was home. That was exactly the place that I needed to be. I was happier than I'd ever been in my entire education kind of life. And that went really well. I did very well, got a great group of friends. We're still very, very close to this day. I think that, again, is so important that you need to have a support network, even at that stage, which almost enhances your passion and feeds it and makes you believe in yourself in a way that not having that just doesn't do. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's such an <laughs> incredible journey. And I can relate to an extent. But yeah, I mean, brave of you getting to that point where you had to say, look, this really isn't for me and making that change and finding people with the likewise interests, I think is always important as well. I know we mentioned that on Jade's episodes previously. Yeah. And I remember at school that I was equally into all that animation side and that really attracted me with, with computers. And that's why I went down the path I did. Yeah. But there wasn't very many people at school that had that same interest. So I always found myself going down that road of trying to talk to somebody about it and they were really not being that bothered about it. And I really found it difficult to find that outlet, I guess. And I'm so pleased that you ended up finding your support network and following what was in your heart. Yeah, it's really important. Fantastic. So you absolutely got to the place where you wanted to be with English. Yeah. But that's still a bit of a world away from Masala Masters. Yeah. So what happened after that? I'm assuming you qualified with your BA. Yes. And then I went to work as a journalist. One of the things that came out when I switched from computer science to Bachelor of Arts was I ended up doing like a, or being asked to do an aptitude test. And one of the things that came out of there was mass communication as a career, which slotted really nicely with my desire to study English and my desire to want to be a writer of some description at some point. And after I'd studied English literature and philosophy, which my philosophy course and the professor who taught it has had a massive influence on the sort of person I am today and the way I run my business to a great extent as well. I suppose the way it worked was I gained a lot of confidence in those two and a half, three years of doing my Bachelor of Arts and went on to work as a journalist. My first ever proper job in India was as a journalist at a local newspaper. And I was doing a lot of film and television kind of coverage. And I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. I could have stayed there 24-7 and done my job for nothing. <laughs> it was beautiful. I mean, just the buzz of that newsroom and to be able to create content on a daily basis. It was a, a daily newspaper. We had to create three pages every single day with fresh content. It's, it's a buzz unlike any other. 
to be able to speak to such incredible people as well, because most of my job involves going out and meeting people and talking to them about the stuff that they do and meeting people who are creating films and stories. And I was absolutely in my element. Loved, loved, loved that job. And then I had the opportunity to come over to study or do a master's in creative writing in Manchester. And it was a bit of a curveball because I wasn't expecting to move away from India. I'd never, ever dreamt of traveling abroad and settling somewhere else. I was perfectly happy. I've always been home, but perfectly happy in my own little world in my hometown of Pune and just never imagined that I would leave the country. But when this opportunity presented itself, I thought, you know what, it's two years. It'll be something of an adventure. I'll go, I'll do my master's, I'll come back, you know, marry a nice Indian boy and all be happy. But you can't prepare for that sort of thing. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> it's a good plan, but it doesn't often turn out. Yeah. <laughs> you can't decide these things two years in advance. It just doesn't work like that. <laughs> and it just so happened that I met Darren, my now husband, in Manchester. Completely unconnected to the course. He's a historian. I was writing and all this sort of thing. So let's just say it just went a complete 360 to what I was expecting it to be. And about, we now we're 2018, so that's 13 years on, I'm in a part of the country that hardly anyone has ever heard about. <laughs> and running a food business. That transition has been a bit chaotic. But the quickest way to say it is about 2008 we, or 2007, we moved to Grimsby from Manchester. And I was still looking for jobs within the journalistic sort of field. I did a bit of freelance work for my previous employer in India when I first moved over. So I did like a, covered some Bollywood film awards that were going on in Yorkshire in 2007. I did some broadcast journalism for a different media outlet covering the India store of England for the cricket and stuff like that. So I was still very much on the path of being a journalist and finding work either as a writer or a journalist in some capacity. When we first moved to Grimsby, I worked or volunteered for about three to four years with a fantastic local community organization called CPO Media, because at the moment they do some other things within the community, but back then they produced community magazines. And in terms of experience, that was an absolute goldmine. In terms of experience, that was an absolute goldmine, because as a volunteer, you were given a lot of, it was only basic training, but you were given training to design, like graphic designing within InDesign and Adobe and all this sort of thing. A bit of Photoshop training, a little bit of editing, a little bit of proofreading. And from being from a journalistic background, the editing, proofreading wasn't an issue at all. Content wasn't an issue. I'd always been good at that. But to be able to create a whole piece with design and everything, that was experience that I gained whilst volunteering with CPO Media. Now, you're still wondering all right, that's graphic design. <laughs> How does that help? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us the secret. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come to that. And then I also did work as a PR officer. Some temporary position came up somewhere and I got recommended for it as a stand-in for, you know, until they got a full-time position. Mm -hmm. I was a PR officer for about six months, six or seven months, which again was fantastic because I'd seen the media side of it. And now this was the other, the flip side of the coin where the whole journey before these press releases actually came to us. And then we decided to act on them. 
So that again was a whole new experience. From there, then I had my son, so I sort of took a factory for about two or three years and then decided to go back into work. There was nothing going on because we were still very much deep in recession. There were no jobs until eventually I came across a local TV network that was looking for, again, volunteers. I've never had paid jobs. The time I moved to Grimsley, I don't think I've ever paid for any of the work that I've done. <laughs> but I was lucky enough to find something that I enjoyed doing anyway. And I suppose if you seek it, you'll find it. I suppose that's the crux of it. If you go looking for what you want to do and are willing to take the experience of your pay, then you will find things. And with Estuary, that's exactly what happened. I always told myself, I will never do broadcast journalism. I hate the camera, never going to be in front of it. Estuary comes along and says, would you mind being a reporter? And day one, piece the camera. This is ridiculous. I never, ever wanted to be in front of the camera. <laughs> but there I am, talking to myself and feeling like a complete fool. But I did it, you know, and it was really good. Really enjoyed it. I was very good at it. But funding, etc., the channel doesn't exist anymore, which is a real shame because it was really good for local television and the community and all this sort of thing. But doing that and realizing that you know, if there was anything that I truly put my passion into, I could make a success of. That was a bit of a catalyst for reasons that are probably not appropriate for a podcast like this because it is very much to do with business. I won't go into why. You know, 2012, again, I had a bit of a breakdown, but that was completely unrelated to anything to do with business or work. It was entirely personal. But as a result of that, I ended up seeing a wonderful lady called Beryl Mank, who's a local counsellor, and I was with her for three years, three and a half years, and really, Masala Master started there. I suppose a lot that we were doing was focused on why I hadn't been able to, one, find paid employment, despite having a fair bit of experience, despite having a lot of qualifications, because, you know, even though it wasn't a PhD in computer science, I had an MA, I had a master's degree. Mm. And, you know, you'd think that a master's degree would be enough to get a job as a receptionist somewhere. Yeah. But every single job that, and I applied to a lot, every single job that I applied for came back as a rejection. I never, ever got a single job offer. And it can be so disheartening when you think, you know what, I'm only asking to type up some letters for you. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying I'll run your business for you. It's just bringing you coffee maybe every morning. But obviously, when it comes to the job market, you're overqualified for that. When you've got a master's degree, you're overqualified for that sort of thing. I can relate to that. I remember coming out of uni and before I went into uni, I did a couple of years just working to figure out what we wanted to do. And I remember having an interview with one of my tutors and he said, oh, you know, as soon as you come out with your degree, if you get a fairly decent result, which I, I got two ones, so I was pretty happy with, then there'll be companies all over the place looking for someone like you and got out and it just wasn't the case. So I can certainly relate to that. And, and especially when it's like jobs that doesn't necessarily need that qualification, but I guess it was that overqualified maybe. Yeah, I think that sort of, contributed a little bit to it, to me looking for somebody who could help me make sense of all of this. And throughout that two or three years, Beryl sort of kept trying to talk to me and find out which of my many passions, because my husband will tell you there are a lot, <laughs> which of my many passions was actually a viable model for making it, you know, trying to find for me to find something that I would be happy doing. 
like I said, I, I do feel happiest when I'm being creative. So I started making children's clothing and nursery items, which I would sell at craft fairs. I started making happy cakes and stuff like that. And I was baking for a while and trying to make a business out of that. It wasn't clicking. I was buying a lot of stuff and I was making a lot of things and they were very good things, but it just wasn't clicking. And I've always used cooking as a means to de-stress again. Once I had my son, finding time to write was just impossible. You couldn't do it. You know, you know what it's like having a child running around. Your brain is constantly full of stuff. They're brilliant, but... Even when they go to bed. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're trying to reset for the next day, aren't you? Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So your brain is never empty. And writing or even painting, because I love to paint as well, but none of it was practical anymore. And I used cooking then as a way to de-stress, as a way to come out of a dark mood or anything like that. And I've always been an entertainer. You know, I've always had friends over. My mother-in-law thinks, you know, it's the bane of her life because we always have people over for (laughs) for food. (laughs) And she says, why do you feed them? If you didn't feed them, they wouldn't stay as long. (laughs) (laughs) But it's something I've always done. And my parents have always done that. We always had parties when I was growing up. And my mum's a really good cook, as is my grandma. I've always been in the kitchen from when I was six, seven years old. You know, it's always been something. Like even now, my daughter, who's three, will often be sitting there on the countertop helping me out because it's the one thing you can do with them. You know, rather than stick them in front of the telly, it's the one thing I can do with her and also spend time with her. It was something my grandma always did with me. Whenever I went to visit her, it was always, oh, what should we make today? And she'd put me up on the thing. She'd give me a little spoon and a plate or something and put little bits of whatever she was cooking in there. And I felt like I was joining in. You know, most of my food memories are from my grandma's house and smells and everything. They all remind me of a time when things were less complicated. And as soon as I started realizing that, I thought, you know what? Actually, yeah, I've got two kids now. I need something that sort of fits around the family. So why not? Let's just try this out. And that's basically how Masala Masters was born. In a long-winded way, the getting sort of transferred over from computer science to English and articulating myself enough to be able to put a business plan together. From there, going on to the philosophy, which will come on to later on, building what the values of my business are, going from journalism, helping me promote it, to the PR job, helping me publicize it, and also to all of that voluntary work that I did in terms of graphic design and all of that. It just helps to build everything that surrounds the actual cooking, which is just a small part of the business. It's almost like you've gone through each of those phases to almost purposely pick up those skills so they can blend really nicely to aid what it is that you're doing now yeah it's incredible i'll ask this question now because i was going to ask it a bit later but looking back on it would you do anything differently this is always one of those questions where i feel no i wouldn't do anything different but i suppose the way in which i did it i might change slightly Hmm. but then again i feel as though i've never been a very ambitious person i've always been very happy with what i had And the only time I've made an act of change is when it has come to a head. Mm. And I suppose the answer to that question is that probably not, because if things hadn't come to a head, I wouldn't have made those decisions. Absolutely. I think that about 80% of people that I've asked so far have said something very similar. 
And I think that, you know, we can all kind of look at the greener side of the grass and think, oh, if I had my time again, it's about the journey for me. It sounds like we're very similar in that sense. Mm. And as long as you've got to that end point where you're now happy, then that's it, isn't it? Yeah. Again, happiness is such a subjective thing, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. Because there's no definition of happy. You can't look at somebody and say you're not happy because just because you don't think you'd be happy in that situation doesn't mean that person isn't happy. And this is why I find it difficult when people try to give you quote-unquote advice Mm. to make your life better and you think, no, because this is my life. You don't know what's going to make it better because you're not living it. Because I don't subscribe to your definition of happy, just because I don't do that doesn't mean I'm not going to be happy. I don't know if this makes any sense, but... Absolute sense. Yeah. And I think a lot of us would be happy in ourselves if we stop allowing other people to tell us how to do it. And I think that's where, as good as social media is, there's also a danger as well, because if we look at other people's lives yeah. and look at the picture of happiness that's been painted, yeah. where it isn't always quite as truthful as it might all seem. But no, that made absolute sense. And like you said, with advice, as much as we can talk about what works for us, ultimately it's down to the person, isn't it? Yes. And they can listen to all the advice in the world. One bit of good advice I received was listen to everything everyone's got to say, but then make your own mind up. Yeah. Because you're the one who's living with your decisions, no one else. Absolutely. Fantastic. Absolutely amazing journey. And just going back from having that initial passion from growing up with your grandma and learning how it was all kind of done in that traditional way. Is it that you've kept those traditional recipes in place with your business or have you kind of had to modernize things? How have you gone about that? It's a mixture of both really, because the menu itself is personal to me. I've not included many things on there that you would normally find in an Indian restaurant in the UK, Mm. mainly because it's not about restaurant food. And I say this to my clients when I go and see them. The business is not about saying to you, oh, don't go to your favorite restaurant, have me around instead. It's a complete opposite, in fact. The idea behind Masala Masters is to give you a taste of Indian home cooking. It's to bring a bit of a flavor of what I grew up eating and enjoying and learning to your table, to give you a completely unique experience, which you will not have anywhere else. And I know it sounds a little bit conceited to say that, but again, as we were talking about before, it's all very subjective. Even another Indian person doing exactly what I'm doing will give you a completely different experience of Indian food than what I do, because that's just how we are. As people, we are entirely unique in our experiences, and how we present those experiences is, again, unique. I can't train anyone to do what I do, but I can train them to do the best of what they are capable of doing. I was talking to a friend of mine today who is also passionate about it and it can't find a job at the minute, but you know, she's not particularly looking. But I said, you know, a couple of years from now, if you do feel like doing it, this would be a good option for you. Not because, you know, I can have a franchise or anything, but for her, coming from a different part of India again, for her to be able to share her passion, it's a fantastic little outlet for you to be able to go and do that and share that with people. So in that sense, it's a very unique experience and I thoroughly enjoy that side of it that I can make it exactly what I want to make it and still keep a lot of the traditions alive I serve it in the way that my grandma would have served it you know I talk about some of the things or some of the tips that she's given me and I talk about some of the memories if you've seen the 
Facebook page, Often I Will Talk About, but that's what we've always called her, <laughs> and about how certain smells and certain words just ring of complete reminiscence. It's, it's beautiful. I really enjoy it. I really wish you lived closer because I would be booking you to come around and deliver one of your sessions around my way. <laughs> I think it's such a great business that you've created for yourself and I can certainly see the attraction of it. Thank you. And you're absolutely right. For me, having that personal touch is tenfold what you get at any takeaway restaurant that you're likely to get a copy of down the road. So it's so yeah, absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You're clearly absolutely driven by your passion and by sharing those experiences and giving those people that fantastic insight into to a bit of your childhood, really, and the experiences that you've grown up with. If somebody like your friends there who was thinking about, I could give that a go, is there anything that you would point them towards skills-wise or qualification-wise? I know we talked a bit about kind of gathering all those qualifications and skills and tools as you went through. Is it one or two standout things that you'd recommend for if anyone was considering a similar kind of venture? I think it's important to find out because especially in this country, there are certain regulations that you need to follow. If you're planning to run a food business, food safety is such a big thing. And especially now with allergies and everything, it's really important because the last thing you want to do is make this experience unpleasant. Food is a very personal thing. Food is a very social thing as well. All of us eat. There's no discrimination there. And to be able to provide a full-blown experience for everyone, no matter what they like, is very important to me. So I would always encourage people to find out what their nearest, which sort of institution offers you a good food hygiene course or food safety course, and definitely, definitely go ahead and do that, if only yourself, because it does talk to you about some of the things that you don't normally think of, so cross-contamination and all this sort of thing. I know it to anyone who's done that, really tedious course to do, but it's a one-day course and it gets done and it gives you a qualification. But it constantly stays on your mind then. Every time you're prepping anything for anyone, you become conscious of allergies and things like that. So that's a definite something that I would recommend. In another sense, I would also recommend speaking to local business people who you admire. Because although this is a food business and although focus very much is the food, people don't realize just how much business goes into it. The food is the front office and it's the cogs at the back that nobody sees. And there's the humongous amount of work that goes in if you're trying to run a business as a sole trader because you've got the admin, you've got social media, but social media is so important in this day and age, especially if you want to make a success of a small business. There's networking, there's paperwork. Every single one of these evenings requires a gift bag per guest, which has a bottle of spices, some a leaflet and a recipe. If you imagine that I've got 25 recipes on my menu and on any given night, I'm doing seven of those, of which one of them needs to be printed out. The, the chances of that one being the same for three nights in a row are very slim. So there's like it's before every event, you've got to think about everything that you need. And so in terms of that, if, if you have access to an admin course or a part-time business management course, which is not too time-consuming, but something that gives you an idea of what running a business can do, that I would recommend as well. I never did that, and I've had to learn on the job. But that is one of those things where I wish I'd done, and sometimes even now think, maybe I should just do one on the side. 
there's some absolute fantastic suggestions and things that can quite easily be overlooked to think like especially food safety that being your bread and butter you need to make sure boxes are ticks for that one yeah and great advice even with things like thinking about those admin tasks i think again like you say when people talk to you about your business automatically just people resort to oh it's just going and cooking but it's so much more than that it's sourcing all your ingredients and yeah god i can only imagine on how much admin you spend behind the scenes would you say that's been one of your biggest challenges then from Masala Masters? I think so, yes. I mean, food was never going to be an issue. I was always confident that I can cook. I think actually coming to think of it, networking is one of the big things that I've had to overcome in terms of anxieties because I've never been an outgoing person. I've always been the quiet one in the crowd, you know, kind of thing, even amongst my friends. They all know which is a quiet one. She's not going to go out and speak to anyone which is why networking was one of those big challenges. And as a sole trader, the person trying to run or make a successful business, networking is really, really important. But then again, over networking (laughs) means that you don't end up doing any work. So you've got to try and find that balance between one, networking in the right places for your business, two, finding the right mentors when it comes to networking and using them as a guide to pushing your business in the right places. And three, balancing it out enough with actually putting work in to create or to almost come true on that promise of this business that you've been networking for. That has been a big challenge for me. And I think initially when I first started, if you go to one networking event, you probably know, you get invited to loads and you think, don't really want to upset anyone. So yeah, I'm going to go to that one. And you can really just keep falling over yourself. But I think I've now come to a point where I know where I'm going and I know how how many hours in the month I've dedicated to networking and that's it. But that also takes time. You can't rush and think, oh, I should have got this sorted by now. It all takes time. And I think if you're prepared for it to build slowly, you are sure to make a success of it. If you rush through it and if you expect things to happen overnight, it's just not going to work. You'll just keep getting more and more anxious and you might start losing confidence in yourself. I suppose luck plays a certain part in that as well, because not everybody has the luxury to wait around and find out that this is going to work. I was lucky in that my husband has a you know, full-time job and he can support the family while I try to find my feet. And because neither of us are that seriously fleeing, I suppose that's probably not politically correct thing to say, but we're not. I know what you mean, though. <laughs> <laughs> we're not. That's... You haven't got Ferrari sitting out the front or anything like that. <laughs> That's right, yeah, or the need for one or the desire for one. Yeah. I think that sort of played in my favour a little bit. I could take the time to see if this was going to go anywhere. I could afford to have three months between my first two gigs and not feel the pressure to get a permanent job, quote unquote. In that sense, yes, it has played in my favour. But at the same time, I think it would have been very easy for me to say, oh, this is not working and just give up. It does take time. Got to give it time to build your reputation and be respected by the people around you because respect brings more business than business cards. That's one thing that I've learned is you treat people with respect, you gain their respect, and that will give you more business than handing out leaflets and discounts and being at networking events four days a week. It's very much about you as a person. You've heard that before, and especially through this podcast as well, you've come across that. People tell people. Can't rush these things. And I know exactly what you mean. 
it's being true to yourself and not trying to play to somebody else's tune. And yeah, from what we've spoken about today, I think you've demonstrated exactly the right kind of path to be adopting if anyone's thinking about potentially going down that route and is lucky enough to be in a situation where they can play the long game and not necessarily feel that need to try and rush something because I think that's also something that could potentially sabotage you in some kind of way if you're starting your own business. Yeah. Not that I'm in that world. <laughs> but yeah, from having spoken to other people, I do see that myself. Just spoke about your biggest challenge. What would you say your proudest moment has been? I don't know about pride, but overwhelming is a word that comes to mind. Recently, Ms. Alamasters was selected as one of the small business, small biz 100, which is a list that comes out through Small Business Saturday, which is an organization that celebrates everything small business. And it's a bit like Black Friday, but for small businesses on the first Saturday of every December. And every year they select 100 businesses from across the country to effectively shout about. You apply for it as a business and never in my wildest dreams I'm only just coming up to two years of trading and I'd never imagined sent my entry in the last day never imagined that I'd get picked and when the email came through I was on my own at home and literally just burst into tears (laughs) because I just thought this is ridiculous (laughs) I still can't quite believe I keep saying to myself that was from Across the country, there's 100 businesses. You were one of them. Yeah. <laughs> that, for me, I suppose, overwhelming one, it gives you the validation that you need. Something like this tells you, right, okay, you're doing all right. Because when you're running your own business, you are never quite sure of whether or not your next decision is going to be the right decision. Especially if you're anything like me and you're constantly thinking of the next step of trying to make this bigger and better and whether or not that bigger and better is going to be that or if it's going to be a horrible mistake you wish you'd never made. And when something like this small business hundred comes along and it's purely based on your business and nothing else, it's a massive validation. And that for me has been one of my biggest sort of overwhelming moments. But other than that, it's funny, the my most favorite part of private evening is when all the food has been cooked, everybody sits down and I serve the names, go back into the kitchen to do the bread, rotis and whatnot. And you can hear these sounds from the kitchen, sounds from the dinner table going, oh, that is so good. That every single time, yeah, (laughs) definitely. I have nailed that tonight. And it never gets old. When people turn around and go, oh, I know it's like an inappropriate time. It, It never, ever gets old. Absolutely amazing. I haven't only cooked for a small number of people that I actually know. Like I know that feeling, but yeah, I can imagine that's an awesome feeling to have over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, brilliant. And like you say, massive validation. And I'm proud for you that you got that small business award. And thank you. And very humble of you. But yeah, no, absolutely great examples of things to be proud of right there. So fantastic. Thank you for sharing those. For anyone who's thinking about potentially finding out a bit more about this kind of business, are there any groups that you follow or it doesn't necessarily have to be about the world of cooking, but anyone that you followed or groups to join that you found valuable to get into where you are today? Masala Masters in particular, or the type of business that it is, there are very few across the country who actually do this model of business. There are others I know that do it as a way of selling some kind of I don't know, kitchen equipment or something like that. But I'm not aware of those. 
what I would say is here locally in Grimsby, the one thing that has been my biggest support system has been the Business Hive networking club. And I say networking, it's not really a networking club, it's a Business Hive club which you can join and they have so much business support on hand. You know, they've got a mailbox facility if you need it, but they've got HR help accounting help, you know, meeting rooms if you need them, because sometimes when you're a sole trader or working from home, the office facilities are something either you can't afford or you don't have access to. But being a member of Business Hive has opened that kind of thing up for me. If I need any kind of contacts in terms of, I don't know, if I needed catering equipment or if I needed somebody to help me as a virtual assistant for a little while, they have all those contacts and they're more than happy to share them. It's for a small, you know, for a small monthly fee, I suppose you get far more than what you would get if you had you run your own office and had an admin assistant and all this. For me, that has been a big support factor. There are plenty of such business groups around the country, and I would strongly encourage people to go and get involved with those because at the outset, it feels as though it's a bit of an added expense to your business because as a small business, you're constantly trying to see where you can cut corners. But something like this, even though it feels like a frivolous expense to start with, eventually it gives you more to work with rather than take anything away from you. It only adds more to your credibility. It only adds more to your experience and certainly to your contacts. You know, you get to know people that you wouldn't otherwise get to know if you had your own office, because you wouldn't go out there and look for them. Definitely try and find somewhere like that. That has been my sort of personal go-to. Whenever I've had a question about things, those are the first people I contact. Absolutely fantastic. I think when you're a small business, often finding help or just somebody to ask a bit of advice from is sometimes really tricky. So knowing there's a group like out there that you can trust and that you can, especially with things like meeting rooms, I hadn't even considered that. Like if you've got a big meeting coming up, rather than having to shell out huge amounts, you've got your, your monthly membership that will help supply that for you. So thank you very much for recommending that. Over your journey, I also asked whether you've got any wise words that have helped keep you going or to rejuvenate you in perhaps each phase that you've gone through any anything that you could pass on wise words or quotes i've always really just kept my head down and kept going so i don't really read many books in terms of business and things like that but there's two i suppose i was thinking about this question earlier because i thought i'm sure it's going to come up and i need to have an answer for that (laughs) (laughs) so there's two things one my dad said to me just the first time that I flew out of Mumbai to Manchester, the only thing he said to me was, keep your eyes and ears open at all times. I suppose he was trying to tell me, don't get into trouble. For me, that's always meant just absorb everything that's going on around you. The other thing is, for me, I would say, always stay true to yourself. It doesn't matter what anyone else expects of you. The first question you need to ask yourself before doing anything is, why are you doing it? And the second question is, are you staying true to yourself? And if those two questions come out positively, if they don't give you clammy hands and uncomfortable feelings, then do it. Because that's the only way, right or wrong, you're going to have the conviction to see it through. No matter what the outcome, if it's good, it's yours. If it's bad, it's yours. For me, that has always worked. Absolutely fantastic. Both of those, I love them. And I think they're absolutely something that everyone should take on board. And if you're not following those, then certainly start to consider adopting those in your everyday life, because I think that's such value that you've just offered us there. So thank you very much for that one. I know you mentioned that you're not really much of a reader. 
is there any kind of resources like books, podcasts, anything that you could recommend for people to perhaps check out? It doesn't necessarily have to be business-based, but anything that's helped you find where you are today? I'll just clarify that because I love to read. It's just with, in terms of business, you know, those sort of marketing books that people read and how to do this better and how to do that, but our management books, mm. I've never really read that. A very close friend of mine who works in Sydney now, he'll always say to me, you should read this book, you should read that book. I'm like, yeah, no, kind of, it's not going to put me to sleep. <laughs> but in terms of podcasts, and this is not a shameless plug for you, but I am so inspired by all the people that you've spoken to so far. And I've already recommended your podcast to a few people, mainly because they are first-hand experiences of people who are doing their own thing. And there's such a wide variety of people you've got on here. So I definitely recommend you. And secondly, for me, authenticity is one of my biggest values. So if you feel something speaks to you, go and listen to it because it doesn't matter whether or not it's related to your work. It will give you some kind of value that you'll pick up and use in your work at some point. And I speak about this purely from experience because like we've discussed today, I've had all sorts of jobs. I mean, <laughs> when I first moved as a student to Manchester, I did a lot of crazy and silly jobs which I often find myself wondering, how is this ever going to help? But every now and then at a private evening, something pops up and I think, oh yeah, I know what to do here. Trust yourself, trust your experiences in life and anything that speaks to you, a book, a film, a podcast, a song, anything that speaks to you, pay attention to it because it will help you in one way or another. I'm absolutely blushing on this end of the call. <laughs> Thank you so much for that kind recommendation. I mean, I'm learning loads as it is. And I just think that if everyone can like, take something from somebody else's journey, whether it's you start thinking about a career that perhaps you hadn't thought of, or there's just something that somebody's experienced that you can learn from, then I'm happy learning about it myself. But equally, I'm super excited that potentially others can learn from that too. So yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I'm all embarrassed now. So <laughs> It shouldn't be. You should be happy with what you're doing because it was the scientist. That I was listening to Yasmin, was it? Yeah. And I thought, I would have never, ever chosen to listen to a podcast about a scientist. Mm. But as an inspiration, it's phenomenal. When she starts talking about coffee and the chemistry behind it and what it could do potentially in the future or what those sorts of problems. And you think, I would have never, ever chosen to listen to a scientist. But she's talking about coffee and how it impacts my everyday functioning. <laughs> it's just or chocolate was it not coffee it was chocolate chocolate yeah and you just think yeah it, it impacts my everyday life and that was inspiration for me i'm glad that you're enjoying it and, and i hope that many others are too as well so yeah once again thank you for those kind words just wrapping up the interview really now richard like it's been absolutely amazing speaking to you and hearing your story and i can't wait to share it with the audience but for those people who are perhaps in the Grimsby area or who simply just want to follow your fine work, did you want to give your business a bit of a plug on where people can find you and your services? The business is called Masala Masters, M-A-S-A-L-A -A -A and Masters. And the reason it's an S at the end is not because I'm a Masala Master, but hopefully at the end of a Masala Masters night, you will yourself be like a Masala Masters. It's a collective. We are all Masala Masters. I love it. I'm on social media, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Hashtag Masala Masters, it should hopefully pop up. I do have a YouTube channel, but bear with me while I keep uploading videos on that. But it would be nice to have a few more subscribers. Absolutely. So 
I'll link to those accounts in the show notes so people who are out running or driving the car and they need to pull over or scribble any notes on your hands. They'll just be a click away in the podcast app of your choice. Certainly go and check out Masala Masters in the various social media platforms and YouTube as well. Come on, you've got to go and give Richard another subscriber on there because I'm sure it's going to be absolutely full of value. I know that's where I'm heading straight after this particular recording. Just leaves me to say thank you ever so much for spending your time today talking to us and sharing your absolutely amazing story. It was a real pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me. And you're doing a fantastic job with the podcast. I wish you all the very best. And I'm certainly going to carry on listening. Excellent. Thank you very much. Wow, what an amazing stories. And Masala Masters sounds an incredible experience. So if you are in the Grimsby area, certainly check that out. So let's go through some of the key takeaways from this episode. And thank you so much, Richard, for your time. I really enjoy talking to you and I'm so glad you're a fan of the podcast as well. And the first of those key takeaways being, what is happiness? Because I think it's something that we've kind of programmed ourselves into. We get into a pattern and it's so easy to do. I know I used to consume so much television, whether that be sports or whether that be daily soaps. I would assume that by sitting there in front of the TV that I was really happy, but actually it wasn't until I took time to step away from the situation and clock up how many hours I was actually spending in front of the TV every week before I realised that actually my time would be so much better spent doing something else. And that's not to say you need to give up TV or I don't ever watch TV anymore because I'm as guilty as anybody, but just thinking about what makes you happy, whether it's getting paid handsomely for a job that really you're not that bothered about and what really the key to your happiness is another key thing that was shared in this episode was take any training and any learning experiences on even if you really can't see that being your path for that moment as Richard just shared she was given the opportunity to learn a whole range of different skill sets that she's been able to pull together to help grow her masala masters something as well that I can relate to is that it's okay if you're not that academic Although I have been to university and I did get through the education system, my grades were never the best. And my degree course is one that I chose because it was full of projects and not necessarily any examination. So if you aren't that academic, don't worry about it. But focus in on how you can use the skills and talents that you've got to demonstrate how fantastic you are. Richard just shared some great tips about running a business. So the first thing is shouting about what it is that you're doing. And for me, that's something I found really tricky. So for example, I've been trying to promote the podcast to get the word out there to share it with people. And self-promotion is a really hard skill to have and networking is so key to that. So if it is that you've started your own business or you're trying to improve your exposure in the industry that you're in, why not consider networking and whether that be Facebook or my preference being LinkedIn. And something that's helped me to learn a bit more about the platform and increase my exposure is the Sopro group, which I'll link in the comments. This is a network of people who all support each other and also share their tips and tricks and advice on the platform to help each other get a bit more exposure. It is a paid for service, but for less than a cup of coffee every week, you're able to improve your exposure and learn a bit more about how the platform really works. And the last one for me today is don't expect overnight success. Something that Richard mentioned, which was absolutely spot on. If you're expecting overnight success, then unless you're really lucky, you're likely to fail. You've got to expect slow progression and really take your time to let something grow and give it the chance to develop into what it could become. Far too easy, we expect that instant result now. 
And quite often when you listen to the success stories of other professionals, it's after years of dedicated work, not being recognised or not finding the growth that they want to get before they get their breakout moment that people champion. So absolutely top advice there. Expect slow progression and not overnight success. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you have, don't forget to subscribe. You can find Get Work Savvy on Facebook and Twitter by searching for at Get Work Savvy. And if you know somebody who you think would benefit from this episode, please share the show in any way that you can. Looking forward to speaking to you next week. And don't forget over the next week to get work savvy and find what it is that you love. Looking forward to speaking to you soon. Take care.